0: scale and ultimately exit successful group practices in short we create clarity confidence and results welcome everyone to episode 26 of the group practice accelerator podcast an episode we're calling how to create financial success in building a group practice for those who tuned in last week you know we talked a lot about failures I gave you the top three failures that we see most often with our clients and prospective clients and hopefully gave you something to avoid. So now, as we head into the holiday season and Thanksgiving's right around the corner, let's build on successes and create some financial successes for you, give you something a little bit more positive to focus on. You know it's gonna be a note-taking episode, so get your pad and pen ready, brew a great cup of that of coffee. We are ready to roll on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. Once again, thanks everybody for joining me on the show today. We are going to talk about successes, successes in group practices and how to build some financial successes for you. Last week was probably a Debbie Downer type of an episode, but if we can help you avoid the landmines, that's the first step in building a successful group practice. So let's talk about what success looks like today and what financial success really looks like. And I think it really begins and ends Uh, At least the way we approach clients in terms of defining what success is. And all too often, people ask us about building a successful group practice. And before we can even start to answer, they start shouting off at the mouth about number of locations or revenue or some of these big picture type numbers that really don't tell any of the story and don't convey any of the financial success. In terms of cash flows or exit multiples involved. So what I would tell you is this is not a game of locations. It could be a game of revenue, but revenue is not the most important factor in the equation, and locations certainly are not the most important factors. When you start talking about financial success and what we see uh, generating financial success, for clients, and certainly for businesses that we represent in the sell side markets, it really comes down to a couple of different aspects. And these are, I'll say that they're intertwined or they're related, how about that? Uh, So let's take apart three of them that should be fairly easy to wrap your head around, at least in a podcast type format. Um, And the first one is something we call same store sales all right, well, wait a minute, what does that mean? It basically means when you look at the revenue in this context of one of your locations, how is it growing on a year-over-year basis? Now, that may seem readily apparent, but here's why it's really important. When you t- when you think about the business of dentistry, the, the profession of dentistry, the analysts and the agencies and the publications that we follow, everybody's pretty much projecting dentistry to grow at about five percent over the next five years on a compounded annual growth rate type of a number. Kager or compounded annual growth rate, is, a, in this case, a, a measure of revenue trajectory. And the analysts that follow the industry Indicate that the the profession of dentistry is going to generate about 5% revenue growth year over year over the next five years. Okay, that's a good number to know. So the question for you is are you above or below that number on a location by location basis? The reason that this number, same store sales, is important is because it is a direct reflection of you and your leadership team and your ability to create revenue generation in your core business. If a bank will loan you enough money, I'm confident you can go out and buy another location. It doesn't mean that you've proven your ability to either operate it or grow it or create any success in it, though. It's just a matter of how much the bank's going to be willing to loan you for you to make subsequent acquisitions. The ability for you to show a consistent track record of performance over a period of time and on a location by location basis is what will separate you from the herd in terms of being a business leader and a savvy operator. And if 5% is your bogey, it's your number, then you need to look at each one of your locations and figure out which one of the, which ones are growing At a faster clip than five percent if they are growing at a slower clip than five percent you're not even treading water in the industry right now if you're building a group practice and you're a savvy marketer and you have the ability to bring in more associates and expand days and hours you should be getting double digit revenue increases year over year in all of your locations not just the ones that you recently acquired in all of your locations. So same store sales is critically important and it's one of the differentiators of those who are um, uh, savvy operators versus those who struggle to operate businesses. And it's one area that you should be focused on immediately in terms of tracking on a location by location basis. The second component is, um, it's sort of, I would say it dovetails with the revenue side of things. Um, and this is more of a, a private equity type of a metric. So let me unpack this for a second, and um, I'm going to explain to you what utilization rate is and what it means. So it used to be that if, uh, if somebody said, hey, I've got a general dentistry practice, and I generate a um, million dollars in, in revenue, kind of sat back and said well that's a that's pretty good business you know if the ada average is about seven hundred and fifty thousand to generate a million dollars in revenue they got to be doing something right so kudos to you thumbs up but what happens if i said okay you're generating a million dollars in revenue how many operatories do you have and they say six well that's still a pretty decent number out of six operatories i think we'd all agree thumbs up on that uh, how many hours a day, hours per day, or what are your hours per day that you're open? Well, if we're open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., 12 hours a day, that's that's a lot of hours in a day for six operatories. How many days a week are you open? Well, we're open seven days a week, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Okay, that's a lot of chair time. Now, how many weeks a year? 50 weeks a year. So let me get this straight. We've got six-operatory facility that's open 12 hours per day, seven days a week, and 50 weeks a year. That's over 25,000 available chair hours on an annual basis. And we're generating a million dollars in revenue. Do you feel quite the same way about that million-dollar revenue number that I mentioned before? You probably don't, because you and I are both sitting there saying, okay, wait a minute. A million dollars is a nice revenue number. But given that number of hours of capacity, we're nowhere close to maximizing the available capacity of of the facility in terms of chairs and hours that it's available on an annual basis. So the, the revenue per chair per hour is really what we refer to at Polaris as a least common denominator type of an approach to evaluating the productive capacity of a business. And what you wanna think about and the way you wanna gauge success and the way you wanna compare yourself is against a standard that a lot of private equity groups measure you against. And their window is somewhere between $125 and $175 per chair per hour in terms of productive capacity. When they look at businesses, and this is usually on a group context, and they throw the $125 to $175 per chair per hour, and they're evaluating capacity, what they wanna know is is this operator squeezing everything out of this uh, opportunity, or is there still some that we can pour some marketing dollars in or add some uh, associates or something like that and really get a revenue lift out of it? And, And I think you need to do the same with your business. So analyzing. The number of locations you have, the number of hours per day, days per week, and weeks per year that they're open to really understand the available capacity that you have at hand and what you're generating on a per-chair, per-hour basis is incredibly important. Now, that scenario that I just walked through about a million dollars in six operatories, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, 50 weeks a year, and 25,000 available chair hours per year that thing comes out to about 40 bucks an hour per chair, all right? So nowhere near the scale that we're looking for. On the other hand, that same uh, practice that has six operatories, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, 50 weeks a year, if we use the private equity metric of $125 per chair per hour, it's over $3 million in revenue. That's a significant difference than the $1 million in revenue that I started out with, isn't it? It's a different way of looking at your business from a utilization rate standpoint and your available capacity, because taking advantage of your available capacity takes advantage of your fixed costs, and it really creates a lot of operating leverage in the business. And this is the second kind of component of building financial success, engaging the financial success of your business or where you may be able to create more success if you're not doing so presently. So capacity and hours from a utilization rate and really using that $125 as a starting point to measure yourself against is critically important. And the third component around this, obviously we've been talking a, a bit about what I would call uh, the top line, right? The revenue side, that same store sales and utilization rate. The, the next one is more bottom line and that is EBITDA from an EBITDA margin standpoint. If you are able to generate more revenue and really take advantage of your fixed costs, and if you can contain some of your variable costs within the business, you get margin expansion and you get it at a rapid rate. So when we look at EBITDA, normally we talk about EBITDA dollars because we're talking about valuation. Here, I'm talking about EBITDA margin. Marginal impact, the bottom line. And for a general dentistry group, we like to see our groups somewhere in the high teens to mid-20s on an EBITDA margin standpoint. More is generally better, so don't stop at 25% if you get there. By all means, keep going. But in the context of evaluating the health of your business from a, a profitability standpoint, EBITDA margins in the high teens to mid-20s is probably where you want to be, and and preferably even into the high 20s. Those businesses that show an EBITDA margin of, say, 25% are very well run. They have the cost structure buttoned up. They probably understand the productive capacity of their facility and the people involved, everything like that, and they're really generating Um, a lot of success within within the business. So taking those three components of same store sales, utilization rate, and EBITDA margin into context uh, is really um, critically important to creating financial success in building a group uh, practice for sure. The next component I'm gonna talk about uh, is, is an offshoot of that last comment, and that's EBITDA dollars. So if the desire is to uh, exit the business or transact the business, you've heard us say on multiple occasions that valuation is not a function of revenue necessarily. It's not a function of locations or number of providers or anything like that. It's a direct function of EBITDA dollars. And if you're going to build a group and you want to create financial success, Those that generate more EBITDA dollars value more highly most of the time. So as we unpack that first piece about growing same-store sales faster than the norm, maximizing your capacity in terms of utilization rate, and expanding your EBITDA margins, you're doing all of that. You're going to create more EBITDA dollars. If you create more EBITDA dollars in a well-run business, it is going to value much more highly And that's an ultimate measure of financial success the third piece that i want to stress today is a concept that i that i talked about last week on the podcast and i talked about it from a slightly negative context i'm going to talk about it from a positive context today and that is this concept of arbitrage or multiple arbitrage or ebitda multiple arbitrage And just to reset the table really quickly, arbitrage is a concept that says, if you buy a a practice at a five times EBITDA multiple and you turn around and sell your group practice at an eight times EBITDA multiple, you have created three times EBITDA multiple arbitrage in those transactions. You bought for five you sold for eight the arbitrage is three x between those two pretty simple just in and of itself in terms of a concept and it really is a concept that's based around size and volume um and the way that that ebitda translates into transaction here all right so why do I why do I stress this now? I talked about it negatively last week, or it could have a, a negative connotation in terms of building a business that you can't sell. Um, but in this week's episode, I want to talk about it more from a scale standpoint because it's significant. And this is significant because your enterprise-level DSOs do this every day and twice on Sunday. And when we're talking about an enterprise-level DSO, that may buy a solo practice for four times EBITDA and their business transacts at 12 times EBITDA, you can do the math pretty easily, can't you? So they understand it in terms of balance sheet equity and and knowing what their business is valued at in the marketplace. Um, And they use that to their advantage when they're creating scale. And they're creating attractive, well-changing opportunities for some people that join their team. So you can do the same thing. And I think it's important to understand kind of how EBITDA stair steps and to start to gain a better understanding as an operator and an owner for how you can use arbitrage to your advantage. So we talked about, and and this is going to be a very loose uh, description of EBITDA levels here. This is not the gospel. There is a lot that influences what I'm about to say. So please don't dig in and send me a lot of hate mail or call me an idiot um, because I'm trying to keep this as, as easy, easy to digest as I possibly can and just give you some guardrails on it, okay? So you've heard us talk about acquiring solo practices and the valuation methodologies for solo practices. A solo practice has a finite capacity it's got four walls it's got a number of operatories it's got a certain amount of days and and hours and weeks in the year and all that kind of jazz certain number of providers there is a theoretical finite capacity on a solo dental practice um, that impacts the ultimate amount of ebitda it can generate and the ultimate amount of valuation it can create and in our world a solo practice typically trades between about three to five times EBITDA on an EBITDA multiple standpoint. That's kind of the industry standard. That's the norm. As you're building a group, some of the stair steps that you want to keep in the back of your mind, and again, this is loose guardrails here, not hard and fast, but getting to a million dollars in EBITDA gets you to about a six times EBITDA multiple, or one turn higher than that high-valued solo practice. If you can get from $1 million to $2 million in EBITDA, you're probably going to see another turn to somewhere around seven times EBITDA. And if you can get from $2 million to 3000000 million, you're probably in the eight times EBITDA range, and it could vary a little bit around there. So, one, two, and $3 million in EBITDA results in roughly a six, seven, or eight times multiple. You start pushing four and a half to five million dollars in EBITDA, that's probably a 10 times multiple fairly securely in today's world. But I think for the majority of our group that are going through that initial phase of growth and trying to get their business established, you know, you're you're looking to get somewhere in the two to three million dollar EBITDA range, um, which is some level of operational viability and success, uh, and hopefully that's a springboard to greater things. And if you're able to get to that two to three million dollar range, you're probably in the seven to eight times EBITDA on a multiple standpoint terms of valuation. If you wanted to take the business to market and transact it, so from there we really want to talk about how we buy businesses and not necessarily overpay for businesses, and more importantly, the turns of improvement you are confident you can make in those practices that you acquire. Last week, when I talked about uh, creating financial failures, I I mentioned that um, you acquire a business and you don't get something called lift. Out of that business, Lyft is not a ride-sharing application that I'm talking about today. Lyft is revenue generation and cost containment. Because if you can generate revenue and you can consolidate costs, even if you pay a five times EBITDA multiple for a solo practice, which would arguably be at the top of market, if you can get revenue generation and cost containment, you can start to dollar cost average your multiple down. Those turns of improvement yield greater upside at the deal table, and that's really creating equity on balance sheet for you along the journey and certainly value creation upon exit in terms of a transaction. So to really create financial success in in building a group practice, you need to understand EBITDA thresholds and that kind of stair step to it. And you also want to understand what that means upon potential exit after you've acquired businesses and created turns of improvement along the way. So I, I hope this is helpful in terms of really uh, potentially helping you redefine what financial success looks like in a group practice. I mean, certainly we've talked about cash flow-based businesses from a build and operate standpoint. I really didn't touch on that today. Most people are are Building group practices through an acquisition-based methodology. So we didn't really talk about um, uh, de novo approaches. But I think you know, for the bulk of the audience out there, y'all are you're creating group practices through acquisitions, and the reason you're creating group practices is with some type of an exit in mind. And if you want that to create financial success for you and your partners, you have to understand things like same store sales. Utilization rates and EBITDA margin, and how all that fits together. And then, as a secondary component of that, you need to understand EBITDA dollars and volume that you're able to create out of your business. And then, the third thing is the concept of arbitrage and using those EBITDA dollars to create value within the business over that uh, period of time and the journey involved with it. If you can do all that, I'm really confident you're going to create financial success for you and your partners, and hopefully you'll have a little bit of fun along the way. Obviously, this is stuff that we model out in our financial model. We model out acquisitions from a growth pro forma standpoint. So if this is a journey that you're looking to undertake, um, and and you're just spitballing it or or kind of you know I hate to say making it up as you go along, that's not really um, uh, a path that I would encourage you to take. We are We are not big on trial and error, as we like to say, Um, that comes with a cost in terms of time and dollars for you. So if you're looking for a faster way to create some certainty around the business that you wanna build, and certainly the exit you wanna create, um, we may be a good resource in terms of helping you build out that financial model, putting together a five-year growth pro forma to make sure that it ends up where you want it to be and helping you connect the dots along the way. We do that with clients all the time in our consulting program, um, and it's something we'd be happy to talk with you about on a, on a one-on-one basis if you are interested. Um, I do obviously hope that you're finding a lot of the content we put forth in our, our podcast to be highly educational uh, and certainly informative. If there are areas that you um, are struggling to apply any of these concepts, again, feel free to reach out to me, or you can reach out to me if you got a question or a comment reach me directly uh, at perrin at polararishecarepartners dot com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Well that was a lot of fun, and, like I say, I hope you you find a lot of this information to be um, educational but also Uh, digestible. Uh, I I try not to use too many numbers and things on the podcast because I know that they're hard to follow, especially for those who are out there riding your bike or running or driving or something like that. Um, And we'll probably do some uh, video, some quick videos on a lot of this to kind of add numbers to paper and make the numbers come to life for you. But um, I tried to keep it as high level as it possibly could today. um, So to avoid confusion and everything, we got a uh, a question recently that i thought was kind of humorous um and and i figured i would share it on the uh the podcast today um because it's something to kind of have a little bit of fun with and the the question centered around you know uh why do i always open up the podcast um, with a familiar tagline um you know good afternoon good evening good morning depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in Um, and The reason that we open that up uh, is to be a little bit cheeky with it, but also our podcast hosting company shows us downloads and where they occur on a global map. And I thought this was hilarious. Early on when we started the the podcast, you know, you see the map of the United States and it shows you how many downloads you got. And then it shows you Canada and, and we have some Canadian friends and some people who follow us up there. So that wasn't unusual. And then the these other areas of the the planet started popping up and coloring in uh, with with certain numbers. Um, and at first, you know, I looked at like Germany, and we had thirty eight podcast downloads in in Germany. Well, okay, you know Sirona or Dentsply Sirona has a, a global headquarters there in Bensheim and and we got some Americans that go back and forth and everything. and so that that might uh, you know make some sense there, I guess. Um, and then, you know, a, a couple of other manufacturing companies in the UK and in Europe and things like that. So, okay, I guess that some of that makes sense. And then when we started looking deeper into it, we had like one download in Iceland and a couple in Ireland. And we had one in Norway and three in Algeria and one in Saudi Arabia uh, and one out of Greece and one in Czechoslovakia. And I started thinking, what on earth, you know, Romania had to start thinking like, are these people really following our podcast? Are these people just traveling around and possibly downloading? So it was a way to kind of poke fun at ourselves to say that we have a global audience like tongue in cheek, but certainly I'm not looking to uh, help people uh, build group practices in Iceland. It it could happen, don't get me wrong, but um, suffice to say, we like to have a little bit of fun on the podcast and the Walker and I like to say, N- nobody makes fun of us like we do. So it's sort of sort of tongue in cheek. Uh, we are not a global business, at least not yet. Um, we are uh, solely focused on, uh, on the United States market at this point. We reserve the right to uh, take a trip to Czechoslovakia for a consulting client if it ever came up to that. Though. Well, today was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you. I hope you got a lot out of the podcast. If you did, again, I encourage you to please leave us a rating. We appreciate that, whether it be Apple Podcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcast, or any other uh, agency, it does mean a lot to us. And if you do drop us some comments, um, uh, we, we certainly appreciate all the positive feedback and reaction that we've gotten from the audience. If you do have questions and you want to send me a, a question, I'd be happy to read it on the air, or if it's a one-off, be happy to take it off the air and, and try to give you some guidance. You can reach me directly at Perrin at com, And of course, if you want to find out more about who all we are and what all we do at Polaris, you can find more on our website at www.PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.